appreciate you. Thank you very much. Good to be in church today. Thank you for coming out. And uh, I know it's been a long week because of the conference. And I just wanted to say all to, uh, something to all those who had worked and labored. Uh, the Lord sees what you did. And the Lord saw all the music practice. And he saw all of the uh, serving with the meals. He saw all the trash taken out. He saw the vacuuming and the cleaning. And uh, I'm thankful that the Lord records what we do for him. And uh, so I want to encourage you uh, to, to just keep loving the Lord and keep uh, faithful in church. Uh, sometimes we focus on our fruitfulness, but God is interested in our faithfulness. Amen. I believe that he's in control of the fruit, and we're in control of the, the faithfulness. And so, Pastor, thank you for allowing me to come this morning and preach. And I feel very unworthy uh, to be preaching this morning, having heard some of the most quality messages this week. My wife and I come uh, to be encouraged, to be filled up, and uh, it is our heart's desire as well to try to be a blessing and an encouragement back. And uh, boy, the meals this week and the singing, I mean, I'm telling you, this conference was just a tremendous blessing to us. And uh, my wife and I, when we were driving this morning, uh, we, she had mentioned to me, she said, this church just loves the Lord. And uh, we were talking a bit about that and how, how excited we were to come this morning and to hear the singing and be a part of the rejoicing. I feel it's genuine in here. And uh, that's a, a compliment to you as a church. My wife and I were on the motorway this morning, and I'm used to driving in miles per hour. And I'm used to driving on the other side of the steering wheel and on the other side of the road. But I had a few days worth of experience and such. And we would get on the motorway, and I saw this big sign, and it had this red ring around it. It said 110. And I told my wife, here's my opportunity. And I just, and I'm thinking in miles per hour. She said, no, 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 that's kilometers. And I thought, well, if, I, if a policeman comes by, I could just say I'm just a dumb American. I don't know. And uh, so we enjoyed ourselves this week. And thank you, uh, church, for being faithful. I know for, uh, for Pastor, um, many months ago, he texted me and told me about his uh, mom who had gone to heaven. And uh, when I received that text, I really felt that. Uh, I, I felt it deeply, my wife and I, because he's my friend. And he's invested into our church for so many years. Um, and, to, and to see Pastor's dad come this morning and shake our hand with rejoicing, uh, to, to, to see his character be in church this morning, it's a blessing. And uh, I just wanted to, to encourage Pastor and his dad uh, that, uh, that God knows. And God knows how to make us to increase in joy, make us to increase in encouragement. I, I, I hope that, that this church is not a church of division and people against each other. You know, you never know the story behind somebody's eyes. You just don't know maybe somebody who's hurting might be sitting next to you. And boy, wouldn't it be a blessing if they got a compliment instead of a criticism? In America, between 60 and 100 churches every week close. They're being turned into restaurants, bars. People are buying them for houses. The city that we live in in San Diego has 4 million people in it, and it is the number one unchurched city in the United States of America. Number one, there's only about 11 independent Baptist churches preaching the gospel with four million people. It's my, heart, it's my wife and I's heart's desire to plant four or five more churches in San Diego. We just believe that the need is there. I'm looking at a city to begin to build, hopefully soon, about 800,000 people, and nobody soul wins, and nobody has the King James Bible. And so you pray for America, as we also pray for you. You know, uh, if you're interested in looking, Isaiah chapter 66, thank you for coming to church today. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being an encouragement. I uh, <clears throat> remember the story of a lady who had come to our church uh, about a year ago, and she had come to me after the service. She had visited the church 
the, for the very first time, and I have not seen her since. But she came to me after the service, and she said, Pastor, Pastor, she said, thank you for, you know, the message this morning and things like that. She says, I just feel like I need to say something to you. She said, I I've been to a lot of churches, and she named a few, and I said, okay. And uh, she said, <clears throat> Uh, I appreciate the visitor's packet. I thank you for being nice to me. And many people had come up to say hi to me. She said, but what encouraged me the most is the way that I watched, she said, of her own testimony. She says, I watched how the church talked to each other. She said, me as a visitor, I expect people to be nice to me. I expect people to already talk to me, uh, you know, with willingness and with uh, zeal and encouragement. She said, but what I watched today is that the church was kind to each other. I wonder when our community, when they come in, is that what they see? Do they see the way we talk to each other, the way that we pray together, the way that we sing together? And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 66, if you'd be willing to look at that, and in verse number 1, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. We'll take a moment, and I need to ask the Lord if he would help me, and I've asked him that many times already this morning, but let's pray together if we can. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and edified, that people would not remember my name, but they would walk out remembering the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that uh, this message of these couple of verses would penetrate our heart, that it would change our life. Lord, I believe that every time we come and, and sit before your throne in our heart, that you could change our life. And I pray that the church service today would do that. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today who is discouraged, someone's joy is maybe dried up a bit. Maybe there's a, a little, little challenge between the relationship between a husband and wife. Maybe if somebody's not saved and doesn't have Christ in their heart, the hope of glory and their sins forgiven. Father, I pray that this service, that you would just speak to each and every one of us and that you would give each person what they need so desperately from your presence. We love you, Lord, and I thank you for allowing us to be in church. I pray, Lord, that if it would please thee, that you would allow me to preach this message having been prepared. Would the spirit of the living God fall fresh upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever we're going to do for God, we must do it quickly. The Bible tells us here about his throne. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, he says in Isaiah 66 and verse number 1. Uh, God is declaring to Isaiah to then continue that to his people that God brings up his throne. And he uh, begins to explain to uh, Isaiah that his throne is something that, I, that he wanted Isaiah to have freshly on his mind. I think of Job chapter 11 and verse 7. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? You know, it's interesting. We can study to the end of life and never really touch the surface of who God really is. I'm thankful that his throne is called grace. I'm thankful that in August 21st, 1993, I was coming out of the ocean in San Diego and I was, I was surfing and Boy, I just, I was lost and I was in a lot of sin and different problems at 14 years old. And God showed up and helped me understand through, the, through a preacher how to be saved and how to have Christ in my heart. I'm thankful that his throne was available for me that night to be able to call upon the name of the Lord and I shall be saved. I'm thankful that it is for whosoever. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and 18, to whom then will ye liken God or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Isaiah 16 says this, and in mercy shall the throne be established and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and hasting righteousness. God wanted Isaiah to understand his throne and to have that on the forefront of his heart, that the authority in Isaiah's life and over God's people was the throne of God. The Bible then continues in this text and says, and the earth is my footstool. You see, God is, is very much interested in us knowing that we are but dust. But aren't you thankful that there's an almighty God, and it doesn't get any bigger than God, does it? Yet almighty God isn't too big to come down to the lowest of man 
and be able to minister and, and, and take away our sins and forgive us and offer us himself to be able to uh, give us that forgiveness, though we are but dust. David said, for what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. David was in awe that God would just visit and spend time with him. Is that how we would behave in church this morning? Boy, um, my wife and I, we want to make sure that we're right with God and right with each other before we even come on the church property so that I'm not spending the entire message trying to get my heart clean before him. And you know, God wants us to understand that He's interested in man. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23 says this, very powerful set of verses. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, God says, I delight, saith the Lord. You know, life is our opportunity to prepare to meet God. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, the Lord is... Uh, uh, wanting us to be close to him and not waste our time. You see, uh, a wasted life is just a compilation of wasted moments. And, and we are spending our life today preparing to meet God, possibly tomorrow. And uh, boy, we got to make sure that we're right with God. We got to make sure that we're right with our wife and right with our kids. And can, can I also say, and I'm not the pastor of this church, but we also want to make sure that we're right with each other in the room. I want to make sure there's nothing in between me and my Savior. And if there's something in between me and somebody else, that is an automatic wedge. Listen, because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The iniquity is the excuse I give myself to transgress. And, and, and God says, no, I'm not going to accept that excuse. God tells us about his throne, and he also tells us, look at verse uh, number one. He says, where is the house that ye build Unto me, and where is the place of my rest? God goes ahead and brings up his throne, and he speaks of that, and then he speaks of his, uh, of us, his uh, creation of man, but then he brings up his church. Look at, uh, if you're interested in listening, Hebrews 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but listen what it says, but exhorting one another, that's lifting each other up, not being jealous of each other, but help and encourage each other so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And God says, boy, as we, as we feel the Son of Man coming, we ought, to, we ought to be in church, yes, but not just be here in present. We ought to be here in heart and spirit and the connection of God and the connection with each other. Listen, we need each other. Now, there's not very many churches in California and I try to get along with every, the, every one of the pastors out there. And I try to uh, take them to lunch when I can. I have them come and preach as often as I possibly can. Uh, not to be a lord over them like I'm something, but just try to be a friend with them. Why? Because they may bury a spouse and need a mate to come by and pray with them. And boy, if there was division or jealousy or things like that, or, or, or some type of pride. Oh, listen, only by pride cometh contention. So if there's ever any contention, there's always pride present. The Bible tells us of his church, he says in 2 Chronicles 7, 16, For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetual. And we know that that was the promise to Solomon there. But can I also remind us that church growth cannot be the goal. Jesus must be the goal. And, 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 you know, uh, I believe that the Lord would be glorified and honored if we just let him build Psalm 127.1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, that's the safety, the watchman waketh but in vain. We're called to be faithful, and God will build upon that. And, you know, God tells us here in this text that he brings up his church and he says, where is the house that ye build unto me? Ecclesiastes 5.16 says, what profit hath he that hath, be, hath labored for the wind? I think sometimes there's a lot of churches, at least in California, that are in the pursuit of greatness 
and they're changing all kinds of methodologies and philosophies and doctrine and trying to pursue and obtain the, the, the you know, labor of this earth. But be careful that God doesn't say to us in our heart, verily, verily, you have your reward here. We want our reward up in heaven, amen? And you never know what that track can do in somebody's heart. My wife and I got a coffee this morning down the street, and we left this card for the waitress to be able to get. And, uh, you know, the gospel will change somebody's life. You just never know how God can use you. Uh, in the mall or uh, through, through McDonald's drive-thru or somewhere and, and be able to give that gospel to someone in need. Isaiah 42 and verse number 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. He brings up his creation here, Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image. I find it very, very powerful, and I'm not the author of this thought, uh, but the truth of the matter is that God just goes ahead and says, and he made the stars also. And just a few comments about God and, and the Godhead and let us, God the Father, God the Spirit, and, and, and the Lord. And, and the Bible tells us that, and then the rest of the Bible, it's all about the creation of man. It just goes to show where his focus is. Goes to show where his interest is. Goes to show that you matter to him. Boy, maybe there's somebody here today that doesn't really feel in their heart that you matter to God. Can I just remind us this morning, you matter to him far more than you realize. Let us remember that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Then he goes in to say, my thoughts of you are about peace and joy. Listen, God is interested in you. He wants you. He wants you in church. He wants you to stay in church. He wants you to love him and be interested in him. And look at verse number two, and that was by way of introduction. I'd like to encourage us to look at verse number two of Isaiah 66. When God tilted my head towards these set of verses, about a year ago, it changed my life. It changed my life because as I was sitting there privately and I was looking at that, boy, pastor, I, just, I was just overwhelmed with what the Lord was helping me with and giving me some understanding. And, uh, uh, you know, pastor, you would understand that when the Lord just gives you a little depth in some understanding, it's, uh, it, it's very humbling that he would allow you that. And he would allow you to see and understand just a little bit. And aren't you thankful that God brings us preachers and teachers like the conference this week to help us understand and open our eyes to see. And he uses the servants of the Lord. What a blessing. But look at verse number two, if you would, and we'll get to the meat of the context of this message. For all those things hath mine hand made. Notice that God, in a declarative, authoritative way, is saying, I want to tell you about my throne. I want to tell you about my church. I want to tell you about my creation. And God just goes ahead and makes this uh, authoritative statement, and he's given this to Isaiah, and we wonder why. And the Bible says, and all those things have been, God says, it always was. He says he's the first and the last, isn't he? And the Bible tells us here, but, look at verse 2, but. Now it's a transitional thought here. It's the same continued voice, meaning God is the one speaking the whole time. And he declaratively states several truthful things, but then he transitions and says to Isaiah, now I want to bring something before you. And he says, but, and look what the Bible says, to this man will I look. Now, in the Bible, you'll have times where it says husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There's times where God will address the ladies. There's times that God will address the man. But at times also in the Bible, in its exact context, the Lord will use man as mankind. And the Bible says, but to this man will I look. Now, I want you to think about that thought for a quick moment. It's almost as if God, and I, I'm not a, a scholar in any fashion, but I do believe that in this context, it's almost as if God is kind of declaring that he doesn't look everywhere. 
We have, we have Marines in our church, and one particular Marine we have in our church is kind of the head of the SWAT team on Camp Pendleton Marine Corps Base, and he's, he's just real proper and things like that. He'll stand at the back kind of, you know, almost a little intimidating, you know, uh, holding the offering plate, and, and I've said to him a couple of times, now listen, you're the kind of guy that if we don't get enough in the offering plate, you could pass it twice and we'll get something, amen? <laughs> and, uh, and he could just kind of stand there. Now, let me tell you something about the U.S. Marines, and I'm sure that, that the Australian uh, uh, military is the same way. They will only look where they decide to look. You can get in front of them, and you can, you know, try to distract them and things like that, but they're going to stay steadfast. It's almost as if God here says, but to this man will I look. It's almost like a, like, like, you need to possess something. You need to have a, a, a certain heart and spirit about you, not just because you're saved, you automatically get it. But God says, but to this man will I look. And look at what it says here. Even to him that is poor. In its context, the definition of the word poor means needy, but listen, depressed, or mentally distracted, needy, poor. I think sometimes we can pull a little bit of, of money out of our pocket and we could have wealth. And that can kind of be our stability and our foundation. I'm not poor. Pastor, I've got a good job. Uh, my marriage is doing well. Pastor, I'm not poor. I've got a good car. Pastor, I'm not poor. I, I've got a, we just bought a nice house. Good to have all those things. But can I say, poor doesn't mean what you're holding in your hand or what you possess by way of assets. Poor is a condition of the heart that says, God, I need you. God, I need you right here. I remember my wife and I were driving and we were going down the motorway. She was on my right-hand side as we had been driving and, and uh, we were just chit-chatting, talking a little bit. And she gets a phone call and, and before this phone call came, my son had, had grown kind of like the size of a golf ball on his neck. And, and it, was, it was a growth. And every time you touched it, he just, he just wouldn't let, let anybody touch it. He was only about five years old at the time, and it was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was protruding out of his neck. We took him to the best doctors. We had, uh, you know, paid whatever it needed to get him different um, specialists and things like that, and they had stuck some needles in there to try to, to try to pull out and make a biopsy out of the thing, and boy, we were just growing concerned more and more by the day. And my wife gets a phone call, and she answers it, Hello? And we were just going to go shopping for a little bit and get a few groceries and things like that. And my mind's just in a different place. And he'd been dealing with it for a few months. And she answers it and she said, hello. And she said, oh, yes, yes, this is her. And she was cheery and everything was fine. But then she said, oh, oh, I see. Are you sure? What does that mean? Are you sure? It's like in the car, the, the whole spirit of the car changed. You know what I mean by that. She had hung up the phone and I said, honey, what was that? And she had a hard time saying it and she said, that was the doctor. And they believe that, that our son has leukemia. It was kind of at that moment, Pastor, I wasn't concerned about getting a new car. I wasn't concerned about the, the, the church getting to the next level or bigger. It's like my heart just emptied out and I began to cry. I began to think, God, I need you right here. I need you to look at me. Maybe there's somebody here today and you need the attention of God. You need God to just tilt a little bit towards where you're at. My son went on to have a surgery in his neck and they pulled all that out. 
He's healed now, and he's 13 years old. He's been our church pianist for about a year and a half. And God's just making something out of him. Sometimes we just need to get poor before God and say, God, I know I've got this over here and I, I know that all this is fine and everything over here seems okay, but, but God, I just, I, I just want to say to you, I'm, you want me to be poor and, and I need you. And my thoughts mentally, I'm, I'm just depressed in my, in my thoughts and in my spirit. And God, I just want you to know that I need you. Does God know this morning that you need him? Does he know that? He says, to this man will I look. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 40 and 29, he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Psalm 106, 15, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. I think sometimes we just want to provide for ourselves and kind of do a religious necklace, and we're good to go. But you know what the Lord would have? He says, even if I've blessed you in this and this, you better be very needy before me without complaining. But look at what it says, secondly, if you would, please. It says, to this man will I look, even to him that is poor. But notice what it says next. It's almost as if, Pastor Shemesh, it's a prerequisite or a, a requirement that God lays out three thoughts. We must be poor, needy. He must know it. But then next it says, and of a contrite spirit. Genuinely in the Bible, we'll find that contrite means to be broken, to be submissive, uh, to be repentant towards. We know the word worship, we're worshiping, is, is derived from, from the Greek. It's worth-ship, to, 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 to kiss toward, to, 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 to kiss toward in reverence, worship. But I find it very interesting in the Greek, in this exact context, the Bible uses the word contrite. In the Hebrew, it says smitten, maimed, to become lame. say God would do that? Hmm. The Bible says that the Lord says when I allow a bruising I'll look toward your way when it's a divine interruption. I had done a little study on this word contrite and from the Latin in the Anglo-French it was the word contrary, and it is an action verb written in the continuum so that it is a constant motion, listen, to be bruised continually. Wow. You ever been bruised before? I was playing around when I was a kid, and we called them dead legs, dead legs. Did they say that around here? All right. Well, I would walk around church, I'm telling you, and I'm like 12, and I walk up to my friend, bang, you're it, you know, you know, I go take off running and everything, and somewhere around, I'm closing my eyes, the offering's getting ready to take up, oh, oh, he just got me in the middle of the prayer, you know, and it's like I'm walking like this, oh, man, that was a good one, <laughs> bruised, could it be? That the divine hand of God allows a smiting in your life so that he will look at you and he keeps his face on you. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning who's bruised. 
my wife and I were in the Philippines a few weeks ago, and we, uh, I had finished up a message and was standing next to the pastor, and a few folks just said hi. And uh, a lady came up, and she had her uh, mid, about 22, 23-year-old daughter, and she was kind of walking like this. And I, I just, how you doing? And what this lady did next, I was not ready for it. She took my hand and she put it up to her forehead. I did not know what that meant at the time. And a little while later, I asked the pastor, I said, Pastor, what was that? And it wasn't anything inappropriate. She just, he said, oh, he said, uh, she was very happy about your message. She was, she was thankful and she's rejoicing. Kind of seems like the ones who get bruised the most are the most joyful. Are the ones that if they understand the Lord and if they, if they study him and seek him, that they will have the most joyful heart. Because didn't he say that when I am weak, then am I made what? Strong. God, make me strong. God, make our church strong. God, make my marriage strong. God, do some, some powerful, strong things in my kids. Can I say... That if we're going to move forward with God, it's always backwards first. We, we, we get humbled before we're honored. Isn't that what the book says? To be filled, we must be emptied. And sometimes God will allow a bruising in the family. And it's not meant for you to get mad at him. It's not meant for you to leave the church over it. It's not meant for you to get upset and angry because of it. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. I don't walk right anymore. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. They, 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 she's never going to get healed. You don't understand, pastor. The doctor said this. Cancer is filled inside of her body. But isn't the goal in our Christian life for his face to look at me? I think sometimes as a pastor, I haven't been a pastor real long, only 12 years, but I can tell you this, most of the time in my prayer, I'm begging for his hand of blessing. But rarely do I just genuinely seek his face just to be with him. Wow. Wow, bruised. The Bible says in Isaiah 30, verse 20, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not your teachers be uh, removed into a corner. Listen to what this says anymore. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee. Listen, God says, for only a promise to those who I divinely interrupt and bruise. God says, when you're bruised, but your spirit is right and you're faithful. He says, and you'll hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. See, sometimes we don't know where to go. We don't know what decision to make next. We don't know who to marry and who not to marry. We, we, we don't know how to raise our kids right. And God says, but what if a bruising brought about a direction? God, show me where should I work? God, where should my family live? God, where should we go to church? God, what should we do? God says, I know you're asking as a shortcut, but I'm going to allow a bruising. Ow! So that I can talk to you and show you the right way. Do we let him do that? 
Do we allow that in our life? Or do we always blame the pastor when something's hard? Or do we always blame the boss at work? Maybe there's something in your life right now completely out of your control. But God has designed that so that he could speak to you. Lastly and thirdly, the requirement to the look of God, if you would mind giving me just a few more minutes, to this man will I look, even to him, that is poor and of a contrite spirit. But look what it says. And trembleth at my word. That word tremble means to shake. When's the last time you and I came into the house of God? God, I need you to show me something. Oh, I'm in the presence of God here. You say, I'm not like that. That has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with what continent you live on or how you grew up or who your parents are or are not. It has everything to do with you deciding to understand God wants to look at you this morning, but he's requiring that you tremble at his word. I think when we tremble, you can't criticize and tremble at the same time inside the auditorium. You can't complain and tremble in the room at the same time. When the husband's trembling before the Lord saying, God, thank you for my wife. Thank you, God, for my kids. Thank you, God, that I get to just be, be saved. And I, man, the direction that I was going in, God, you, you reached out and you touched me. I get to be in church. When we tremble, there's a joy that comes with that. And you're careful not to be the one to ruin it. Ecclesiastes says that one sinner destroys much good. Wow. The Bible tells us about this requirement of trembling. Acts 7 and 33. Then said the Lord to him, speaking of Moses, put off thy shoes from thy feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground, but then later on in Hebrews 12 and verse 21, Moses' recollection or his personal testimony was reminded to us, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. God is here. God turned the lights on right now, and the presence of Christ was here, and we've been praying that he would come in this room this morning. Our church has been praying for this conference. Our church has been praying for weeks for this Sunday. Our church loves your pastor and his wife. But if God turned the lights on and we saw him and his presence with us, there would be a great quaking in your spirit. He shouldn't have to turn those lights on in our heart. We should quake because he tells us to. Wow. Do you tremble when you're in private and nobody sees you? Because you love Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross of Calvary. The Bible tells us, Isaiah 32, 15, until the spirit be poured upon us from on high. You see, trembling always follows thankfulness. If my wife and I ever looked at somebody who wasn't thankful, they're not thankful for the job, they're not thankful for the church, they're not thankful for their pastor, they're, not, they're just not thankful people. They probably have never trembled before the Lord. They take their salvation and says, well, because I'm breathing, I deserve it. See, in the United States of America, we have this, this mentality that is so wicked, and that is just because we exist, we deserve it. By the way, that's the sinfulness of the heart, not just the culture of U.S. I don't deserve anything. 
I don't deserve to be a part of a church. I don't deserve to have friends that are godly. I don't deserve to have the word of God. Isn't it an amazing thing that when we open up this book, and there's a lot I don't understand, but isn't it amazing that when we do read the Bible, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we get to understand that. It, 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 we feel it. it. It penetrates us. But, it, but I also see in the scriptures that the natural man, meaning the unsaved, can't discern anything about God. That God drew us in. No man can call, call me, uh, he says, call me Christ unless the Father give it. Listen, God drew us in. It's not Calvinism. It's offered for everybody. The grace of God is offered. But God was interested in you to know more than the others outside. Shouldn't this book make us tremble? That we get to understand that I have sin and he forgave it. That, that, that I understand a little bit of his grace. Oh man, that trembling will stop a church from being split in pride. That trembling will stop any, any authorities trying to come in and lord over God's people. Trembling will stop any of the ladies getting angry at each other. Who's going to work the nursery today? We have that back at our place. Probably not here, but we have it back there. It'll stop the men from, you know, trying to have the final say. The trembling. My wife and I were, had hosted our missions conference back a few months ago, and it was October of last year, and we had planned for it for several months, and we flew a preacher out to preach for our missions conference, and we had a, about four days long, and people came from our church, and I had taught on giving and taught on giving to missions and helping people get saved in different parts of the world, and it was just, it was a missions conference, and it was great. Things were going well. We got through the first night, and the preacher preached. It was awesome. The second night came, it was a Thursday night. We started on Wednesday night. It was a Thursday night. Preaching started at 7 o'clock and the preacher's going on and he's preaching. And I don't even really remember too much unless I go back to the video and watch it, what he preached on. <clears throat> but what was about to happen at the end of the service shocked everybody in the room. I had been to many missions conferences. I've preached a few of them. But I've been to a lot, having kind of grown up in church and such. And so I was kind of used to church. Sometimes we can be so churched that we lose our heart for God. We just kind of come in, we do our thing. If somebody's sitting in my favorite seat, I'm just irritated. Don't you know that five years ago when we had that special offering, I bought that row, you know? And it's kind of that, and all of a sudden the service goes on, and I'm religious, but I didn't have a good relationship. The missions conference went on, and the preacher preached, and it was just wonderful. It came time to the invitation, and there wasn't really a provoking too much for the invitation, but something happened in my wife's heart. She quietly, having, having had some troubles in the past and such, everybody was praying, nobody was looking around. You know how the invitations are. People are just pondering the message, and it was a great message. And my wife quietly, without anybody trying to bring any attention to herself or anything, and she hates, she asked me this morning not to bring that up. And I said, well... I know you're the head of the house, but just give me a chance. Amen. <laughs> and so I know where Brother Shimish gets all his messages is his wife. I found that out this week. And my wife comes up, and she's been troubling with her back. She didn't want anybody to see, but she hurried as fast as she could, and her back was really messed up several months ago. And she's trying to, and she comes down to the altar like this. And nobody talked about it. The pastor didn't preach on it. Uh, this has never happened in our church in my life. 
I'd never even seen it in church. And my wife does something that as I'm over here and I got done praying and I'm standing here and how many of you know sometimes the pastor peeks? <laughs> Peeking's okay, it's in the book somewhere. But, uh, and I kind of did a little peek deal. And it, 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 it shocked me a little bit. My wife came... And she took her shoes off the best she could. And nobody was looking. People were still praying. The other pastor, guest preacher, was still, pre was still speaking and provoking for the invitation. She takes her shoes off. She goes back to her seat. And she sits down. I pondered that. was that pretty soon somebody from this side over here saw that nobody talked about it nobody knew what was going to happen it was the mighty rushing wind of God a lady comes up we're not singing the pastor by this point just stops. He goes and sits down. Nobody's saying anything. This lady comes up, pulls her shoes off, not even have talked to my wife on the other side of the auditorium, sets her shoes down, goes back. All of a sudden, a brother over here, the whole church put their shoes What was that about? I came down to my wife and began to talk a little bit. Music still playing. And my wife stands up when it was time to stand. She said to me, she says, I just wanted to give him my life again. I just wanted him to know that he has me. And that night, true story. I've got a pictures on my phone right now. I can show you. People all over the auditorium went home that night with no shoes on. We never talked about it. It wasn't preached on. I didn't know what God was doing. But people all over the room were giving their life to Christ. People who've been in church a long time. The ones in the choir that were singing an hour earlier. The instruments in the orchestra, they were. I saw some teenagers come. And I came up to the pulpit with tears in my eyes and said, Church, I don't know what's going on right here. And people were crying. <coughs> they left their shoes there. At the end of the service, I said, Folks, if you want, you can grab your shoes and head on home. We'll see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Friday night. People walked on the pavement back to their car. Nobody took their shoes back. What was God doing? I think he looked at us that night. I think he gave us a little bit of his face that night. When people said, I'm going to tremble. God is good. Even if I'm bruised, God is good. Even if I'm poor and needy, God is good. Meeting was over. Tuesday morning, the whole place was empty. I said to my wife, I said, the altar is full. Some of the uh, ushers came to me and from Sunday morning and said, Pastor, we had several visitors come. I said, oh, yeah, I saw them. That's great. I said, how'd it go? He said, well, they asked me what those shoes were up there. I said, yeah, yeah, Sunday morning. That, that, that sounds about right. 
after we left him there. I said, what happened? He said, it was the strangest thing. He says, I've never, this is, this is an usher that's been saved only a couple years from the military. He says, I've never seen anything like it before, Pastor. He said, these people have never been here before. They took their shoes off and put them up here. Because all I said to them was, that's the people who gave their life to Jesus. Oh, I want to do that too. I, I don't know why God did that. It was out of my control. But when you tremble at his word without complaining and without bickering and fighting and without comparison and jealousy, God will look your way. I wonder if anybody here this morning needs God to look at you. Wonder where your shoes will take you in this life. To be honest with you, my shoes used to take me to some really bad places. It took me to the beach surfing. It took me to some bad friends' houses. Taking me to some wicked places. But now, the Lord allows my shoes to come to church. Now it allows our shoes to get on a plane and meet some new friends. Now my wife and I's shoes mean something. It's purpose. I hope your shoes don't ever take you out of church. I hope your shoes don't, don't cause a, a division between you and another person of Christ. Where will your shoes take you that depends on if God will look at you or not. Because the shoes represent your life that stands in them. Let's all stand together. Thank you for listening well. So respectful this morning. I don't know if we have a pianist that will come and play. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around. Just take a moment. The Spirit of God is ministering to your heart. What would it take for you to respond? If he had planted a seed in your spirit, would you get out of your seat at this time? Come to the altar and pray and say, God, you allowed a bruising in my life. Would you help me not to get angry because of it? Would you help me to be like that little Filipino girl who's all hurting and broken and lame to kiss toward you. Help me, God, to have that spirit. I wonder if there's a lady in here this morning who's been dealing with bitterness, dealing with unforgiveness, and you just, you've at times tightened up. You're not going to let that go. Can I say, release it. You need him to look your way. Is God looking at you? We can rise up all we want in the flesh. We can rise up and sing. We can, pastor, we can rise up and preach even. But unless the spirit of God fills this place, unless he is glorified and he is lifted up and looking at us, we're rising in the flesh. Will we rise up by His Spirit? Thank you for listening so well.